HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On this week's episode, we talked to Chef Lorena Garcia, who is fresh from opening her brand new hotel restaurant called Chica in the Venetian in Vegas, uh, where she's the first Latina chef to open it. Super awesome. Get to hear about her history, what she cooked with her grandmother, how she became a chef, how she upset her parents by becoming a chef, and all the good things that come along the way. And then following that, we've got live performances and interviews with Boy Toy, who talks about their European tour, gear, and their new record, and plays some exclusive tracks for us here on Snacky Tunes. Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz, and I would love to welcome to the program Lorena Garcia. You have so many titles. Yes. Restaurateur, chef, cookbook writer, kids, t- television cook producer. Uh, we're going to get to all of it. Okay. But first and foremost, just to frame everything, what is the one thing that you feel that people don't understand about Latin cooking and its modern interpretation? You know, probably the misconception that Mexican cuisine is Latin cuisine. I think mm-hmm. that would be like the hardest. It's really understanding that it's so much more uh, in terms of um, in terms of what Latin cuisine is all about. When we when we talk about the melting pot of cultures that we have from Argentina, Brazil, Peru, my God, Chile, Venezuela, Colombia, Central America, Panama, uh, Costa Rica, and then you have the Caribbean, and then you have Cuba, and then you hit Mexico. <laughs> so there is so much, and because Mexican cuisine is so widely known, it's been a little bit of a challenge to kind of break that through and, and then really have a more accurate perception of what Latin cuisine is all about. Let's go back to your childhood. Yes. Caracas, young girl. Yes. What are some of the most standout dishes from your memory? When you think of childhood and, and eating uh, at yes. home, what is the setting? What were you eating? Who was cooking? Absolutely. My mother was always cooking and my grandmother. Those are the pitas that actually you just... Delicious, by couldn't. the way. Thank you. <laughs> Great way to start a food interview. Great, right, right. Feed the host. <laughs> exactly. Feed the host. Uh, uh, Greg, let me tell you, uh, the arepas was always a staple. And I think in any Venezuelan kitchen, you have arepas for breakfast, lunch, dinner, you can, it's, it's like your bread. You can stuff it as a sandwich. You can have it as a little piece, you know, for your eggs in the morning. Uh, so that definitely was throughout. The chupe, which is the chicken soup with mm. rice and different toppings, a little bit of cheese, a little bit of lime, avocado, cilantro. That's something that I just grew up with. That's it. What I, I say that I, I am sopera. That's <laughs> my son is sopero too because I pack all the veggies and everything in a soup and it's the perfect way to grow up and, and be strong. So, eh. Uh, what else? The asado negro is a, a, a meat that you roast and you create a natural charcoal with piloncillo or panela. It's like a brown sugar that is raw. You kind of burn it and create this black natural charcoal. And then with that meat, you breathe wine and sofritos and you cook it low and slow for seven hours. And then what you have after is this beautiful piece of meat that you slice and it you know, falls apart. It's really delicious. And were you cooking with your mom? Did she share the family secrets? Did she catch, push you out of the kitchen? She pushed me out of the kitchen, but then I rolled back in. <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't, this wasn't guaranteed you were going to be a lawyer. Yes, I went to law school, actually. Oh. And uh, I finished my last year of law school. And, and, and right when I was graduating from law school, I got, jo- I got a job offer. And when I walked into the office and I knew that it was going to be you know, in this small office, reading cases to the wall and the ceiling, I said, no, this is not for me. So I, I had to give it a, a shot because my parents, they're all attorneys and you're lawyers. So. How, long, how long were you uh, in the offices before you're like, I just can't do About this? About 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I got into what I call a mini minor panic attack. And mm. I said, this is time for me to walk out because there is no way I'm going to be able to sustain eight hours. So I just walked out. <laughs> I said, thank you so much for the opportunity, but I think that I need to do what I am what I am passionate and, 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 and what I love. And that's what made me the decision to go to culinary school, actually. And was cooking always there, even when you were in law school? Were you cooking in law school? Were you doing dishes there? Or was it just something in the back of your head that you were, said, this could be something, but I don't know if I'm going to make a career of this. i got to honor my parents. How, where did cooking play along the lines of while you were still becoming a lawyer? 
always food was the excuse for me to get together with my friends when I was going even to high school and preschool. I will always have this excuse of, of group studies, and and that was my group study for me to cook and see what they. Uh, what they would think. What did you make for them? You know, it's funny because on Facebook, say, Lorena, do you remember when you used to make our four cheese pasta? I mm. would, I remember making, you know, crossing. I mean, I was probably 12. And I would take cheese whiz and, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the, any three cheeses, maybe with blue cheese mm. and some other cheese that my mother had from, you know, who knows where. And I would just make these sauces and I would play food, you know what I mean? But it definitely was something that I always was very... Uh, attended to and I will always see my mother making these incredible soups and guisos and I will be there watching but it wasn't an opportunity for me to go to school so for her you need to go to school Lorena. Right. you know how it goes so how did the conversation for all the fearful chefs out there who need to tell their parents that they're going to go cook how did it go what did you say and, and how did your parents react to it okay well in my case and how afraid were you <laughs> <laughs> I was very I was shaking I sat my mother actually I said Ma, you, I think you need to sit down for this and she had this idea that I was going to wear, you know, suits and I was going to be glamorous and high heels. And you look glamorous now. You've yeah, right. The, the but, you know, on there. Exactly. I mean, it's beautiful. It doesn't, 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 it looks know, great. Doesn't look bad. Chef whites are amazing. <laughs> and um, I told her, mom, I, you know, I decided that I'm not going to be a, a lawyer. I, I want to be a chef. I mean, she yelled and the first thing she said, Lorena, you're crazy. You're going to be peeling potatoes and cutting onions all day. What are you talking about? But I, you know what I said? I said, mom, let me cook for you. Let me do this. Let's invite a group of friends and let's see if I have a future or not. And I got supporters, thank God, on that dinner. What did you cook for the dinner? I mean, that, that's a, the make or break. Yeah, that's, that was a make or break. I made, and I know exactly what I made. I, and, and I was adventurous, of course, that you can see. And I, how old are you at this time? At this point, I was probably, I was probably 16, 17, 18. Okay. And I made, um, I made a wasabi sauce. Mm-hmm. Almost like an Alfredo, but instead of the cheese, I will use wasabi with a, a pasta, a noodles that I made, kind of like a ramen kind of situation, and then I put a seared tuna rare inside with sesame seeds. And we're talking years ago when right. that wasn't even, you know, that... that so you weren't no. pulling from Venezuelan cuisine, you were just pulling from global... Like, I just got to impress them. I it just doesn't got matter. impressed. And yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't going to be with arepas and, and, and soup, you know? Where can I cheat from just to say, <laughs> give me your blessing, I'm going to culinary school? <laughs> and that is exactly I just want to make sure that I made it right. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, I mean, everybody was very surprised. So, of course, you know, it, it, it took me to really be able to go to culinary school. For my family, it was very important that I had a degree. Hmm. And that's when I moved to the United States and was able to go to Johnson & Wales University and get a bachelor's degree in culinary arts. Then they were okay. Then they were a little bit more accepting. And, and getting into culinary school from going from, you know, cooking in dorm rooms for your, yeah. your, your lost students and, you know, peeking in on, on mom's kitchen. How did that begin to evolve your education and how did that begin to open your world? I'm sure you got the classic French training and was just yes. very different, you know, in juxtaposition to homestyle cooking that you were used to when growing up. Absolutely. And let me tell you, I think that I absorbed studying law uh, for business, for logical thinking. So I thank my family for making me go to law school because I think that's been a tremendous tool for me in business going in the culinary art. So, uh, you know, I never took it for granted, but definitely, you know, food was always something that I was passionate about. And I understood at one point, even, you know, being afraid and having that fear of doing something that you don't know if you're going to actually make it or not, uh, it was exactly that. It was doing what I was passionate about. And I think that that's what, to me, did it. I, I, I need to do something that I love to do. Hopefully, I'll be successful doing it. Hopefully. And from that experience, you went uh, to Paris. You went around yes. the world. How did you 
were you able just to synthesize that cooking or how did you take it in or what did you start to pull from all the different places? You were in China, yes. you, were, uh, you were in Italy, Japan, Korea, Thailand. Yes. Where did you begin to take from there to start to develop your own style? Absolutely. After I did all these travels. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that when, you know, as soon as I finished culinary school and while I was going to culinary school, I did all these travels in the summer. That's what I would do. I, would, I did, really did submerge in cooking and learning. Even when I went to Italy and in and, and Paris, which I spent most of the time, that's where I really did my, my training and then, you know, cook all over the world. It was to learn. So I wasn't even sure what my voice was going to be or what type of cuisine I was going to make. But I knew that I needed to learn. And, and this is a teacher, Chef Kumquat, in, in, in Johnson & Wales University said, travel if you can. Learn as much as you can about ingredients and techniques and then find your own voice. And that's what I did. You know, they, they talk about um, in art school that you have to learn to draw an egg and yeah. draw a shadow before you become an artist. So you have to have the base skills before you can find your own voice, which I did not understand because I stopped taking art classes because I couldn't draw an egg or a shadow. But years later, I said, oh, I finally get it. So yes. Yes. what was your favorite cuisine to cook? And I know Latin, you know Latin is top, but what's second? What, you know, if you couldn't have done this... Yes. What was the language that spoke to you the most? Italian cuisine, I will say. Uh, I mean, my time in Italy, it, it was just outstanding. And I think my sensitivity to make great sauces come from it. Mm. Uh, I think, that, you know, French cuisine, it, it was so ingrained, you know, of course, with butter and cream and flour and pretty much anything that you do, you make a roux. Uh, so that was a very classical training. I think that you need that as kind of what you were saying of drawing an egg. But after you get out of that and really trying to find your voice, I, I mean, I train in the southern part of Italy with tons of olive oils and fish and seafood and lighter cuisine. Uh, to me, it was incredible. I think I would say it's one of my favorites, besides Peruvian cuisine, that is a strong influence in my... Of course. And then from there, you went to, open, you went to Miami and into yes. the design district. In 2002, which was a very different time than Miami is oh, yes. 15 years later, yes. you opened up your food cafe uh, yes. and a number of other places... I don't want to spend too much time on it, but what are some of the lessons you learned from there? And did, how did you begin to open yourself up to other uh, Latin cuisines from in Miami? And how did Miami influence you? And how did you influence Miami? 100%. Uh, you know, my cuisine is about the availability of ingredients that I have in Miami. I was very risky. I raised $40,000. Mm. And I opened my restaurant. I was my own cook, prep, and dishwasher. And I have a couple of friends in the front of the house taking the order. So imagine how I was. I was the only restaurant in the area. So I was a pioneer when, you know, the design district wasn't what it is today. Uh, I learned so much, you know, the, the traits of things that you do and you don't. I work for so many hotels and restaurants and chefs that I figure if I'm going to work 22 hours and I'm going to sleep two hours and I go back the next day, I want to do it for myself. Uh, you know, I pay my dues of the mistakes of doing that, but at the same time, uh, I think it created the skin of, of business and and moving forward, so uh, and, and I continue to grow with it. And being in Miami is sort of about that. It's about having people from Brazil, Argentina, Venezuela, as well, Colombia, and, and you see with that is the ingredients, the language, and, and kind of it was very conducive to the menu that I created and kind of influenced also the style that I created uh, with time. Since you were also the dishwasher, would you make things that were a little bit easier to clean, or did you just, you know... <laughs> have the dishwasher part curse the chef part of you. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I have my, like, my own system, you know. When it, I had an extremely small kitchen with, you know, only three people can fit in it. Uh, and, and, you know, it was a point that, you know, I obviously couldn't do both. 
So that was the first person that I hired, somebody to help me do the dishes and help me cut things, you know what I mean? But at the beginning, it was just me. We're going to take a quick musical break. We're going to talk about blending all of Latin America together. And then, of course, your new restaurant at the Venetian, Chica. Yes. We'll be right back here on Snacky Tunes. Don't you worry, baby. Don't you worry, 
back to Italy for a second yes. because I think that is one of the things that I'm curious about. You have all of Italy. Everyone claims the region is the best, that they make the best pasta or they're really known for different or their eggplants are the best. You're pulling from Latin America, which is diverse backgrounds, diverse histories. Where do you start? Where do you start from? Where is the point where these cuisines begin to merge together? What have you found in the commonality besides just geographical location that allows you to start to pull a little bit from Peru, a little bit from Brazil, a little bit from Argentina and mix them together? Absolutely. For me, it was a technique that I learned. I mean, for example, uh, you know, pickling and curing and uh, infusing sweet notes into a pepper to make for them a vinaigrette, I will make a chimichurri with it. So the Latin cuisine was always engraving me so much. I just wanted to see, naturally, because that's how I grew up with. You know, I will, will grew up going to churrasquerias and putting different salsitas and wasacacas and herbs into our dishes. So what I really took from studying abroad and understanding all those techniques is how could I bring it to my own cuisine? And the similarities, for example, they had a crudo for me, it was a ceviche or a tiradito. So when you start seeing the commonality, and even more within South America, that's when I, um, I was able to create a menu for Chica that it was so conducive to that because it's really, let me show you the commonality, for example, the corn. We are very much friendly with gluten-free items because we use the corn as a base of our masas and our breads. So you know what I mean? So you have those commonalities throughout Latin America that kind of being then in the United States, it becomes my culture. You know, I speak Spanish. I'm a first generation of Hispanic from, coming from Venezuela, but then the majority of my life I live in the United States and the ingredients that I find are here. And then of course, combining it with the techniques that I learned throughout my career and studying and you know, being a nerd when it came to uh, you know, culinary uh, techniques, it, it, that's all engraved and it kind of came up, you know what I mean? It just turned on the, the lights on that sense. And based on your professor's advice where he said, go out, learn how to cook, learn the basics, where did you begin to transition back to Latin American cooking? How did you not end up an Italian cook or a Chinese cook? What was it that began to, to speak to you? And then where did you realize Venezuela wasn't enough and you needed to build a bigger world? Yes. You know, the day that I got offered a, a, a book, uh, a publishing a book, mm -hmm. and I got an offer to do my first book, and I needed to say, what am I going to say? Lorena? And what, what year is, is this? It's a, oh my God, it was... <laughs> you you making me take the calendar here? I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know those I, the, those uh, <laughs> little winks that you get in your yeah. phone? That what? Uh, you know, a few years ago, I would say probably five or six years ago, um, maybe even more, even more, uh, probably seven or eight, in mm -hmm. which I had the first offer, I had no idea what to say. So a year passed, and I'm like, I need to understand uh, whatever. What do I do with all this information? And it had to boil down to who I am. Who is Lorena Garcia? What do I have to offer? And the only way that I'm going to be able to do this effectively is being true to myself. 
in which there is not an act or there is a cuisine that I want to choose. It's what I eat, what I learn, and my interpretation, my view of what a ceviche should be based on the upbringing that I have with the flavors that I tasted, things that create some memory. I'm all about the love, the memory, the, the uh, connection in terms of energy that happens on the table. That's what, I, it's, it's what drives me when, I, when I'm cooking. That's what I'm all about, family style. And I realize, for example, uh, in the settings that I've been, that the biggest uh, you know, moneymaker decisions, the biggest, you know, figures that you can have, presidents, you know, working and making huge decisions, usually it's around the table with good food. So that's when you get more relaxed. That's when you really connect with the person next to you. So that's when I said, you know what, I need to stay true to that connection with the food that I have. And I created this. It's my techniques and studies that I did all over the world with the food that I grew up with and who I am in the United States. Did you go back to mom and be like, okay, now I've done all this stuff, can I please have your recipes? Or was she already feeding them to you after she knew what was yeah, happening? Yeah, the way that it happened when I was writing my first book, I would call her and say, mom, <laughs> what is it that you exactly, but what is this exactly what you did to your frijoles negros, to your black beans? And she would like pause for a minute or two. Okay, so let me tell you. So I would really go to the ingredients. I put a pinch of sugar. I said, what are you talking about? You put sugar? I mean, what are you doing putting sugar in the black beans? But that's what she did. I mean, that's how I cook with my mom. It, you know, <laughs> when I ask her to write stuff down, she's like, oh yeah, I forgot this and this. And just, this. she hasn't, she, she just, she cooks, she doesn't bake. So she's like, I haven't written anything down in 30 years. I just learned it from watching her mom and passing it on to us. So you're like, oh yeah, you throw this thing at the end. You're like, I need that if people are going to recreate these recipes. But when you finally hear it, like, I had no idea. Exactly. That's what happened. The same with the Negro. I will make the sugar, I toast it, but, you know, it wasn't the color that I knew this dark, beautiful sauce. I don't know. You have to burn it. You should have said that. Yeah. She's like, you didn't pay attention. Yeah, like, exactly. You kept kick, kicking me out to go become a lawyer. Exactly. Of course I wasn't paying attention. Exactly. That's exactly what she did. So once she got into it, did other relatives or other people start contributing and feeding you and f- feeding you recipes? Or was it mostly just from mom it was and your mostly, memory? Yes. It was mostly from mom and my memory. She was a, a really good girl. It was hard for me to put her in the kitchen, but when she did, it, it was absolutely incredible. My father did too, uh, but he was more of a, an experimental cook you know he will put a hundred different things in a soup and it would be amazing but at the end you didn't know what it was so. right. like one one-time creations that's it. it that's it yeah exactly so miami design district yes to the west we now have las vegas yes for chica which is incredible in, at the venetian so exciting you mentioned a little bit about it but what is going to be the focus i know grilled food ceviches fire Yes. All the things. Yes. Tell me about what you're cooking. What, what can I come eat there? Uh, everything. I mean, we have antojitos, which are like the small appetizer. We have the main courses that are absolutely amazing. Desserts is off the hook. You know, the idea is because I, how, and again, is how do you even label, you know, even when I wrote my second book, New Taco Classics, which is taking the tacos as a word of carrying your food and presenting in different techniques and in culinary aspects is cooking techniques, cooking process. So I have all what it is crispy and crocante, so I develop everything that I could fry and do delicious toppings and all that. Then low and slow, which is another kind of technique and you cook low and slow and you take your time and develop deep flavors. Then the grill, which is nice and hot and in your face and immediate. Then things that you really school and nice and you don't need to, really need how to, you know, get a fire going. So you see, so all these components kind of, ah, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, let me focus in each one and, and have my interpretation of all these dishes and, and bring all the fusion and create what it is Lorena Garcia menu. 
And what can people, what's a good entry point if I'm going there for the first time to serve the ceviches? Do I start with the grill? Do I need to bring 10 people? Um, you know, what, is, what are they going to see there? And, and where does their education of Latin cuisine really begin? Yes. If you've never had Latin cuisine before and you're staying at Venetian for a high roller weekend and you yes. say, oh, Chica's downstairs. They just gave me a comped right. dinner. Where do you start? What is like a really good entry point? Absolutely. The entry point, you have to have a cocktail as soon as you walk in. Because let me tell you that those cocktails are unbelievably good they're incredible from we do our, our cold pressed juices and vegetables for the infusion in our cocktails the presentation we have a different cut of ice for most of our cocktails so we pay close attention to that so that's I think a fantastic and you're in Vegas you want to get right in it and are the cocktails pulled from around the region as yes. well? Yes, 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 yes. So um, who makes the best cocktails? <laughs> okay, second best. I won't make you pick a phrase. Who makes the second best cocktails? You know what? It's, 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 it's tough. I think that we make it a chica because it's a true fusion, truly, truly fusion, you know, in, in terms of our sangrias and margaritas and uh, 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 we use cachaça for our mojitos. So, you know, it's it's a really nice representation, but we just do it with a different... Which is with a different take, and our mixologist is just absolutely amazing. Then we have female wine growers also from South America. So you have wines that have, you know, another level of representation for the femininity of Chica. And then you go into the menu. You know, of course, the ceviches are incredibly uh, uh, well uh, executed by, by my cooks and my, my team. I will have a couple of ceviches. Then I go to the hut items like the corn lollipops they're mm. incredibly good and delicious so you have the corn so let me introduce what you're going to have with the arepitas I have a beautiful basket of arepitas eh, which is exactly what you just had in different flavors beets black beans cheese mm. I make little breads as well so you have a, a, a very nice starting talking point to what it is to come then you have the mayor lemon chicken that it didn't in for three days because we macerated then we marinated and then we cook it low and slow you have the short rib with the same technique of the asado negro that I was talking to you about we have incredible steaks that comes with chimichurris and black moles the lamb with pepitas that we crusted and we put a, a mole verde with a little bit of a zucchini flowers it's just I mean I can go on and on you know, so we're going to leave here get on the first flight to <laughs> Vegas we're just going to just run we're going to let me you sit right down through. and let me take care of it well, I want to go back you mentioned female wine growers yes let's talk about them how did you source them did you go down to them are they growing are they making bottles specifically for you yes my partner John Conkle 50 eggs you know eh, we were very committed uh, to, to really have a representation of what Chica was all about. It's a feminine restaurant. We, it, actually, when you see the decor uh, to the you know the chairs that are beautifully designed, custom-made with leather, different colors and applications, you can see the femininity throughout. So I think that you know was very conducive and a fantastic idea from him to bring uh, you know female wine growers that will uh, be able to showcase and align with us. So that, that was something I think it was very interesting that we can give it the light to the concept of the restaurant so yeah it was really great and we have a beautiful place to put all our wines and and, and this runs to the theme like you're the only woman on the wall of culinary titans at the venetian yes. how do you separate being obviously such an accomplishment but just being a chef as opposed to a female chef yes it's tough <laughs> it's tough when uh you know when like i told you when the first time that i walked into a kitchen there were all male chefs so it, it is it is one of those things that, you know, through my career, I just have to lead by example. And I think that people will respect you when they see you, that you know what you're talking about. So for me, it was always that. So if I have to put an extra effort, if I have to study even more, if I have to be prepared even more. But that only motivates you to be even better. 
and I'm always want to be the best version of myself. So at the end of the day, it was a positive. So this is a lot, but the question begs, what's next? <laughs> I'm always to what is next. Yes. Um, you know, I do a lot of television. I love the side of production. I love teaching children, you know, the importance of cooking. I produce the show Food Hunters, which did extremely well in Latin America. So we're in the process of continuing to do TV in the Hispanic market and also in the English market. Uh, I have a couple of concepts also that I'm incubating that I cannot say anything right now because there is a saying in Spanish, you cannot count your chickens before they're born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Making culinary shows for Telemundo versus for the American audiences, yes. what are some of the broader differences or do you have to adjust the way in which you present the food or talk about food or is it a lot more similar than one would believe? Yes, it's interesting enough. I think the drama of the whole situation changes uh, in each one. Uh, one is kind of expected and it's natural. The other one is kind of like you have to bring the drama to uh, the suspense and all that. But I think it's in any production. For me, the most important thing is bringing the credibility of the culinary world that I represent to, to television. And that's always been my north when I attach myself to this project is, is bring the credibility that I bring, that, you know, that I've been working so hard for and really stay true, like I said before, to my personality, to who I am. So it's never an act. So the person that you see here with me is the same one that when the lights turn on and off, the same one that is in my house. So that's kind of my philosophy about it. Well, Chef, I want to thank you for joining us. Really great talking with you. Where can people find you, find your books, find your restaurant, find all the things you're working on, find your kids' show? Absolutely. How do they get a hold of you or follow your projects? Yes. Let me give you my phone number. No, <laughs> <laughs> it will be uh, Chef Lorena Garcia online for Facebook. It will be uh, Chef Lorena Garcia for Instagram and Lorena Garcia for Twitter. So write me, send me messages. I just did a Facebook Live. I'm constantly doing new recipes and, you know, keeping all my friends uh, updated into what's going on. So a lot, a lot of things to continue to come from Chef Lorena Garcia. Well, thank you so much. We're going to take a quick musical break and we'll be back with the second half of Snacky Tunes. Nothing on me, and it don't even prove my song. 
Loose lips cut, I won't sing it right My prize underneath the tunnel Percussion of my fists in my pounding chest Brand new hobbies do a lot to low And the man I see, the man I feel At least not the one I know Better roll with it Bury the kill Underneath the sun Keep my head down Oh, underneath the sun Keep my head down Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. 100 Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment, 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. Welcome back. Those are just songs by Triple Hex and Pearl and the Beard from our archives. Right now, live in studio, we have Boy Toy. Welcome to the show. Hey. Uh, Hi. Do you want to go around the room and introduce yourself and what you play? Hi, I'm Chase. I play the drums. Hey, scoot over. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lena, and I play the bass sometimes. Hey, I'm Glenn. I play guitar. I'm Sarah, and I play guitar and sing. You just got back from European tour. Where did you go? Any food highlights? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we Ooh. went basically yeah. everywhere except Spain. And Portugal. Uh, and Portugal. Where is everywhere? Um, Italy, Switzerland, Germany, Vienna. Austria. Uh, Czech Republic, <laughs> UK, France, Brussels. Okay, everywhere. We didn't Netherlands. go to Serbia. No <laughs> Serbia. No Serbia. Slovenia. No Poland. Croatia. Were you on tour with anyone? Mm-mm. No. Ourselves and an Italian driver. Oh, amazing. So were there local opening bands for it, or yeah, what were the some, bills look like? Some shows, yeah. Man, Sometimes. A lot play. of the times you play just by yourself, which is really strange, but uh, they, people really dig one band shows there. Yeah. Opening, they, middle band, headliner, <laughs> that's we, it. We rolled no, up to uh, Hamburg. We, n- we never. No, I'm saying you're playing all the roles. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three sets, no break in three between. Joe's repeating songs in different orders. Oh, man. When we were in Frankfurt, we played on a boat, and they started stomping when our set was over, so they wanted us to play another song. So we, like, they wouldn't stop stomping, so we kept playing. 
and I played another song, and then they kept stopping again, and then we ran out of songs, so we <laughs> had to make up songs. Oh, yeah, how'd it go? It new awesome. re- I mean, we're going to talk about the new record, but I'm sure that's half the material. Yeah, most is from that boat in Frankfurt. <laughs> the Frankfurt Sessions? Yeah. <laughs> it ended up being really cool. Like, that was one of my favorite shows because we like <laughs> basically the promoter forced us and tricked us into playing he another encore us. he was like told each of us individually that the other person was already ready to play and they were oh, waiting she's for waiting us. for you yeah, yeah <laughs> she's but then it turned out to be like this really cool like improvised thing that that was different than any other show so how did you, did you, none of you talk to each other? Were you just like, oh, she's up there? Like, no, yeah, it. like he, ran over yeah, and he, they weren't ready yet. Yeah, and he phrased it. He was like, no, Chase, Chase promised me two songs. And we were like, well, I mean, we can't, I guess. Okay, sure. And then after we played, we were like, Chase, like, did you talk to him? And she, and he was like, she was like, no. He told me that you guys were up you there You said you guys were angry, me. waiting, angry. Like a lot of like mistrust sown from a Frankfurt promoter. Yeah, yeah. it was awesome though. Yeah, he, he and then we were leaving. It, it took a long time to get out of there, and he, um, we were walking because uh, he's taking us to where we're gonna stay. He's like, first though, I have to show you the most German thing ever. <laughs> oh my god! And, and right when he says this, this bus just opens the door, and this like big German guy just falls out holding his beer and just is like laughing, like and falls on his head, <laughs> yeah. and like, the beer doesn't <laughs> spill. What he was really gonna show us was a bar, but just it <laughs> happened at the most like exact perfect moment. And he was like, well, that was pretty German. Okay, he that, like, got back one. on the bus. <laughs> yeah. Like the bus opened to let other people off. He fell off the bus and he got back on. Was and it a party bus or just like a no. public bus? No, public, oh. yeah, public he was going transit. home. Oh. Yeah. So then the promoter was like, all right, I'm going to show you the second most German thing <laughs> there is. Uh, so what were some of the food highlights from around oh, Europe? God. The I wine d- everywhere is amazing. <laughs> and like three euro. <laughs> Um, skip food and go straight. <laughs> well, gas stations also surprisingly, like in Italy, have and Switzerland are like gourmet salads and pastas and oh the faux gras. Uh, I, well, oh, yeah. sorry, it was in, sorry, in but France. We had faux gras. That was in, where the best food was this time. Dipped in what? Faux gras. Glenn. Oh my god! So the faux gras <laughs> was like, on this like cats. little brownie cake, and there's faux gras, and it was coated with gold leaf. So you'd eat it, and you'd have this like little gold remnants on your mouth, just looking totally guilty because you just <laughs> indulged in like six. I didn't know how many faux gras bites were too many. I'm sorry. Did you say it was on a brownie? Yeah, it was like a little, but like the smallest like thin little brownie. It was like a brownie with with like some apricot or something in between, and then faux gras, and then dusted in like, like literal this gold. gold cover. I, we all thought it was chocolate truffles. Yeah, right. I thought it was dessert, and then it was heaven. Heaven. Pure heaven. It was too advanced for me. I was like varsity level, but Glenn was, she's an adult. Well, Glenn, how many is too many? Well, <laughs> I had to, to gap to five. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I had some restraint, but the good news was is that they were serving it again the next day. Yeah. Oh, so, perfect. So yeah. how many did you have the next day? <laughs> you know, I'd prefer not to disclose. Okay. You got like your iron. Peter's going to call. <laughs> yeah, yeah Peter's going to call. Um, the muscles in Benique, too. Those were awesome. Well, I felt great and then realized they were all just soaked in really rich butter and I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, yeah. There's some like food allergies spread yeah. out amongst you. So I felt really, I, we ate all these like three pots of mussels and I was like, man, I feel awesome. And then 10 minutes later, I was like, I feel terrible. This is going to be a problem. <laughs> and, uh, situation. Uh-oh. Oh, is 
there's a problem sound effect? Wind. Yeah, I think that's the problem sound oh, effect. That's, yeah. that's, that's the, the, the passing of wind. It's happening. Oh, it's happening. The tide is gone. Awooga. Can we hear a song? Yeah. What are you gonna play for us first? Poison Boy. Breeder. Great. Here we are with Boy Toy live on Snacky Tunes. <laughs> recorded a new album in Topanga Canyon. Why out there? Because <laughs> it's heaven on earth. It's crystals in the soil. Well, the last record we did, we recorded in the middle of the winter in Philadelphia in like a basement. It was great because it was like a cozy vibe. I don't know. And then it was just nice to go somewhere different and um, be able to not put on a parka every morning. Do you think the setting influenced the type of music and the songs that are going to be on the record? Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's super it's groovy. Yeah. So California, chill. sunny. We surfed a lot. Yeah. Um, right vibes. There's still some so- there's some songs about New York that definitely have like New York vibes, but yeah. it's like infiltrated soft. by no. yeah, infiltrated by California. How long were you out there? 
we we've been doing this thing where we go to LA for the winter for the past two years. So we got out to LA at the end of January and did all pre-production stuff in February. And then we stayed uh, where we recorded for about three weeks in Topanga. Yeah, pet pigs. Pet pigs? Yeah. Yeah. What were they named? Flower, who is an angel princess. I want to buy her a Barbie Jeep. <laughs> and Mr. Pickles, who is a total asshole. Mal- mm. uh, Flower is a Malibu model. She's yeah. famous. Is she really? Yeah. Is she on Instagram? She was she in, could be, no. but she's no. above that. She's in magazines. She's in, she only does print work. She's like now. Vogue Italia. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you go out with a batch of songs that were a little bit harder New York based and then how did like the California seep into it or were the songs not totally written till you got out there? We we recorded with um Kyle Malarkey. Um he did the Alalas and the Growlers stuff, um and was a really amazing producer. We had these bunch of songs that we like worked on and then got into a studio and a lot of them changed a lot to the point where like we'd be doing like listening back on stuff and be like wait what song what song is this <laughs> yeah and then some songs are half written and we finished them in the studio what's the plan for it coming out is it Ooh. done mixed mastered it's mixed it's done it's mixed it's not mastered yet we're gonna do that over here um we're yeah. on the prowl yeah. on the prowl right now figuring out how we want to put it out and who we want to put it out with watch out any uh any ideas anyone you want to oh. call out to <laughs> Do you have a few not Clive have Davis. a few not ideas. <laughs> Clive Davis and Mutt Lang. <laughs> hi. Master Hi. 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 I went to school. We should just call him up. Yeah. We just call, if if could you just call Clive? You said you did the he school. Owes me money. Oh yeah, I went to NYU. I did the uh, Clive Davis. I guess now they call it the Institute of Recording Music, but before then it was just the department, uh, recording department. It's, it's just probably part of your tuition. That you can just call him. You, everyone gets one email to him you know, that he honestly, has to answer. It totally should be <laughs> for that amount of money. <laughs> like it's like you got to write me back, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what are you gonna play for us? Want. Want. This is off a 7-inch that we released last winter before we went out to L.A. So this is true New York-Philadelphia winter true vibes. New York. We recorded it ourselves. And no, this this we recorded in the summertime. In the summer, actually. It came out in the winter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it came we out. We recorded this in the summer in a studio that Glenn was renting in the Navy it Yard. Hot. It was hot. And we all had to take our clothes off in the studio because it would be, like, probably 100 degrees in there. actually hot. Like physically hot. Physically oh, hot. Sexually physically, physically hot. hot. I remember my first really summer in New York where I thought I could get away with not having a air conditioner oh. until I like went home with someone and then I realized that that's not even hot, it's just physically hot. No, and it's then, noble to try. It, you, yeah, know? you have to try it once so Maybe you know. Maybe solo, but yeah, solo is fine, but one friend. one other friend it just like not not great. <laughs> yeah. Not a good look. Not a good, no, not very uh, professional. Not <laughs> <laughs> oh, professional. I thought you were a DJ. <laughs> uh, here we go, live on Snacky Tunes. I want a van. I want a dog. I wanna touch, I wanna need 
That cowbell. I can't really hear it. Yeah, I can't hear it either. I think I need to turn the Can you turn it up? Turn it up. Please turn up that cowbell. All right. One of the things you mentioned before the show is that you love talking about bands that you like. Who are some of your favorite bands? And uh, shout them out. Shocking Blue. Oh, man, we just saw... The Rascals. Yeah, Felix Cavallari and the Rascals. It's a good name. Um, oh. Well, they were just the Rascals in the 60s, the and then they, they broke up. And now the drummer does Dino and the Rascals, and he does Felix and the Rascals. Rival band, same songs? Yeah. Oh. Sucks. Sucks. Yeah. You hate to see that. Yeah. Is, the audience, is the audience uh, Old big people. enough? No, I know, but do they oh. have enough support to support two bands? <laughs> I think so. I think so. I don't know. I think they need... I'm, no, I can't talk too much about Rascals' business. It's too deep. Too deep. Too close. Your father was a rascal? Yeah. <laughs> it's a really cool story, too, about his daughter. I was friends... I had this friend named Laura in Nashville... And then I posted this picture about Dino, the drummer. I was like, I fucking love this guy. And she was like, you know, that's my dad's band. I was like, Whoa. what? Her name's Laura Cavalieri. And I thought maybe she was related to Felix, but I was like, dude, I don't know. I was like, no way. And uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, she go-go danced at our show at Babies last week. Really? Yeah. Another one. Another one. Wait. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get to meet Dino? No, we met Felix. Just oh, we met Felix. Felix. Yes. Oh. Dino is... Um, I don't know. I and their guitarist. Um, Gene. Yeah. Yeah. Sad story. You hate to see that happen. Yeah. All these decades can't pull back together. Yeah. Maybe it just run, it, runs too deep, though. Yeah, they're trying. A lot of history. A lot of, who else are you listening to? Um, love the band Witch. Yeah, they're the Z- Zambian, Zambian rock band. 70s rock and roll band. Also love the, uh, the, the other Witch. With the J. Mascus, Kyle Thomas, which the, that's great too. But we listen to a lot of the Zambian which. Michael oh, Ralt is really awesome. Yeah. Contemporary dude. He's making a new record right now at Daptone. Really? Right, right over on Troutman. Love those guys. They've been on the show a long time ago. Cool. Yeah, I think he was nice. on here in our first year of doing stuff. They're great. Yeah. 
There's uh, this band from Nashville we just played with called Roman Polanski's Baby. <laughs> Tough name. (laughs) (laughs) We met them through this band, Pujol, who's really awesome. Yeah, they're both. Pujol's from Nashville. They play like power pop, like kind of like the the DBs and Elvis Costello. They're great. It's all just like super tight, kind of like rock. La Luz is cool. La Luz is cool. Shout out to the bass player. (laughs) Want to make sure we get one more song in. Last question. You're all into gear. Favorite piece of gear and why? Take it around the room. Oh. Don't think too hard. Right it's now? It's drum. It's nine inches. <laughs> <laughs> I love my music master uh, bass fender. Yeah. Man, I played a bass man 50 watt, but out of two 15 speakers in France, and I fell in love with it. It might be, might be my new family member, too. That's the next, that's the next purchase? Oh, it's so cool, yeah. Perfect. The 15-inch speakers are really That's special. what really did it for you, yeah, though. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, thanks for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Stay tuned to the new record. Hear the old records. Listen to... Boytoyband.com. Yep. Uh, Instagram, at Boytoyband. Facebook. Boytoyband. You could go to Boytoy.com, but it's... I'm sorry, one more time. What was that? Boy... Boytoy.com. Oh, did I get that right? <laughs> yeah, and then go to boytoyband.com. Yeah. Go both and just tell, send us an email with the differences you see and if there's any upgrades we could do to our website. Oh, perfect. And yeah. uh, we'll get you an amplifier for the cowbell for the final uh, song. Fucking finally. <laughs> an uh, electric cowbell. Electric cowbell. Oh. Big thank you to Chef Lorena Garcia. Uh, we are off next week, but then we'll be back with a brand new episode of Snacky Tunes. Uh, head over to Apple Podcasts to get to our archives. Check us out. Leave us a message. Rate us. Whatever you want to do. What are you going to take us out with? We're going to do a cover. Oh. Is that okay? Totally fine. Okay. It's it's uh, called When the Night Falls by the Eyes. Oh, that's great. And we... Um, we have it on a 7-inch. Yeah, we have this on a 7-inch. Perfect. And can you get that at boytoy.com? You can. Oh, perfect. I think. Yeah. If, if it's not available, just email us at boytoyband at gmail.com. We'll ship it in seven in nine days. In like two months. From, we're, we're, actually pretty, we're pretty punctual unless we're on tour. Oh, that's a good trait to have. So. Um, well, thanks for listening, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode of Snacky Tunes. Thanks for having us. Thanks for, having thanks for coming. <laughs> When the night falls When the night falls Said it many times before You can see me, I don't want you no more People thought that I was fooled
Listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.